Welcome to Comets Insider Playoff Edition. Jason Shia here with you on 94.9 K-Rock. And, well, things are always a little more upbeat, aren't they, when you come into Comets Insider after a playoff victory, and that's exactly what happened this weekend. The Comets come back home to the Adirondack Bank Center on Wednesday, just a couple of days from today, with a 1-1 series split against the North Division regular season champion, Toronto Marlies. Now, you know, you looked at this playoff series. We looked at it in depth leading up to it. And there was so much speculation, so much to, I guess, have anxiety about, to be excited about. And I'll tell you what, it's a, it's an incredible offensive outburst for Utica in two games played. That is what has, to me, been the most impressive thing about the series thus far, is the Comets are able to put up as many goals as they have. And yes, they did lose the first game, but that was... I would say after a 3 nothing lead, that was very disappointing. And so there was uh, some wonder about what was going to happen in the subsequent game on Saturday afternoon. And the Comets came out rolling in that game. And even though there was a little bit of a blip, having a 2 nothing lead erased and then being in a 2-2 game, the one thing that has been evident, we've talked about this a lot, haven't we, is that the Comets do not change the way they play. They are an even keel team, and that's the way they sort of have this um, equanimity about the situation, and, and it leads to them not panicking. We saw that, of course, of course, in the Laval series, when in Game 2, back at home, even though they were down the final seconds of the game in regulation, it was Riley Walsh's late overtime goal, a late a goal in regulation to send the series into overtime in Game 2, and then, of course, the Comets won the series on the strength of Sam LeBerge's goal, which sent them to this playoff matchup against the Toronto Marlies. Now, the Marlies were off for 11 days. They had not played a game since April 16th, going all the way to April 27th on that Thursday night at the Coca-Cola Coliseum. And it looked like it. It looked like it from the onset when the Comet stepped onto the ice. And a player who is potentially right now their most valuable player is a man named Riley Walsh. And he started the scoring for the Comets. We're going to listen to all of the goals from both games. We're going to get through them in the first segment. And then later on, the next segment, we're going to have an in-depth look at the first two games on this broadcast from an insider's perspective. So we'll sit down with with uh, with one of our Comets uh, insiders and we'll talk about what they saw through the first two games played. And we'll have some real in-depth analysis and we'll look into up and down the lineup. And, of course, we'll come to find out how this team will look um, perhaps in the next couple of days with some transaction moves, which you, of course, may be aware of, but uh, we'll have that for you coming up as well. And then we're going to have an in-depth look and an in-depth talk to a, a conversation, an in-depth conversation with T.J. Friedman. Now, Friedman is a player who came over from Quinnipiac after winning a national championship. The 25-year-old who spent five years in uh, in college because of the COVID situation has a master's degree. He has a very bright kid is very well aware of what it means to play in big games. So you never know. You come into the team, you turn pro after playing in college. You never know when you're going to be called upon to jump in the lineup. So he's one of those players who right now is on the outside uh, looking in in the lineup. But, hey, listen, you got to practice every day hard. you got to be ready to play. Look at what Xavier Perrant has done. And we're going to try to get an interview with Xavier Perrant for next week's Comments Insider. There will be a Comments Insider next week. But we're going to try to sit down with him because he's a kid who came in from the ECHL comes up from Adirondack and has made a big impact, specifically in the early goings here, 
of the Toronto series, but also assisting on that goal that came as the overtime clincher against Laval. Well, let's let's stop talking. Let's turn to some hockey now because Riley Walsh started the scoring in the second round for the Comets at 6.08 of the first period. This kid, every time he has the puck, it seems like the puck's going in. That's how good he's been for the team. Here's what it sounded like. Waiting, shooting, that went over the crossbar. Lands on the stick of Graham Clark on the right wing side. Nolan Stevens. He'll make his way to the front of the net when an opportunity permits. The bouncing puck inside the far circle is Schmelzer. Now Holtz again from Walsh. Back to Walsh. Rister scores! Power play goal! It's 1-0! Riley Walsh is on fire and he keeps on scoring. And the Comets have a 1-0 lead. And he'll go into Wednesday night's game, by the way, with a point streak continuing. So uh, from the start of the playoffs until now. Well, they're up one nothing, And then the regular season's leading scorer went to work. Graham Clark scored to make it 2 nothing for Utica. Here's Clark's goal. And it was a, uh, a goal in that first period to continue the march for Utica in game one. Dropping for Abrazizi. Cross ice pass and they go in front for the deflection. That just missed. Comets can move on a two-on-one here. Graham Clark with Hallinan. Clark shooting. He scores. Graham Clark, and it's 2-0. A two-on-one developed through the neutral zone. And Clark just buried it short-sided in. The Comets have a 2-0 lead. Graham Clark, perfect shot. His first of the playoffs. Clark's first of the playoffs, and that's what you want that kid doing in the playoffs. You want him shooting the puck. He's also really good at dishing, by the way, when uh, pucks come to him on the power play. But, man, you want him shooting, and he did that, and he was rewarded for it. We were just talking, by the way, about Xavier Perrant. Let's play a goal for him. Xavier Perrant continues to be a factor for this team early in the second period, giving Utica a 3 nothing lead on that game on Thursday night. So goals coming from everywhere for Utica. Here's Perrant's goal. Pino couldn't get it. It's on the line. Mason Gertzen, now Pino, now Perron. Back to Pino on the left wall. To the point to Gertzen. Got a great shot. He'll take it. Rebound scores! It's Perron! And it's 3-0. Mason Gertzen's shot was stopped off the left pad. And the Comets bury the rebound. Xavier Perron has points and back-to-back. Well, how about that? Two minutes and six seconds in. And Perron, right place, right time. The tough part of that is Gertzen getting the shot on goal from the blue line through the bodies. He did. But nobody had Perron on the right side. And he put it into the empty net. He's been great. And the comments at that point had a 3-0 lead. And then uh, the things started to fall apart. It was 3-3 at that point where Toronto got goals in sequence uh, and they tied the game. And then it was Riley Walsh who helped the Comets to take another lead. Here's what Walsh's goal sounded like. His second of the game, by the way, on a deflection. Good energy here from the Comets. Back the line to Gerritsen. Fake now to Walsh. Rister scores! It's 4-3! And Walsh does it again. With 8.52 to go in the third period. The point shot found its way in. And the Comets have a lead again. Wow. Gertson to Walsh. Let's see. That went off a Marley's player. And Walsh will have the goal. Keep shooting the puck. That's if you're Riley Walsh. You want to keep shooting the puck considering how well things have gone. Well, then the Comets... 
surrendered a couple of goals, so they were down, and it was up to Alex Holtz. Eventually, this goal was credited to him. It tied the game and sent the game to overtime. It's one minute left to go. Grant Park on the right side. Clark to Holtz. Shooting. Block. Scores! It's in! They have tied it with 51.6 left. It bounced in the net on a deflection. And it's 5-5. Alex Holtz gets the shot he wanted. Oh, yeah. It was blocked. And it bounced in. 51.6 left. Can you believe it? Well, we went to overtime, all right. And at that point, it really was anyone's game. And the unfortunate part of it is that Toronto ends up getting a goal on a, on a neutral zone turnover. It comes back down the left-wing side. And Joseph Blandisi scores the overtime game winner. Both teams were one for three in the power play in that game. But overall, lots of shots, lots of chances. The Comets could have come away with a win, but they didn't. But they harnessed their their uh, their defensive acumen for the second game. And we're going to have the highlights for you coming up later on in this broadcast. But coming up next, an interview from an insider, and then T.J. Friedman will come right back on Comets Insider after this on 94.9 K-Rock. Welcome back on Comets Insider. It is Jason Shia along with our vice president, Mr. Adam Pollack, of course, two-time president's trophy winner in the SPHL and uh, giving us our insight on, on, the, on the Comets in the playoffs here. You're obviously quite uh, attentive to what's going on. But, you know, I... That first game, you lose in overtime. Your heart's broken because that's a definitely a winnable game. You're up 3 nothing, But i got to say, they answered the call in game two, despite going down two goals. they they uh, Going up, rather, they allowed two goals in, but they never really changed the way they played. Forged ahead and a big victory. Yeah, uh, eerily similar to uh, what looked like was going to happen in game two, what happened in game one. But uh, the comms prevailed and... Uh, you know, I think your takeaway there is you took one game on the road, which is always the goal, right? A split at uh, the visiting Toronto, and uh, to say that you scored uh, what twelve goals in yeah. two games yeah. is uh, really, really good sign uh, for the offense. And uh, I thought Dawes looked really good. Uh, again, you know, some of those goals in the first game, I think, I'm sure he wants back, but also traffic in front. So I think it's going to be a well-contested series all the way through. I do, too. I, I was really um, not worried at all in game two because I knew that I don't I, I agree with you. I don't think Nico would tell you had the best game on, on game one on Thursday night. But I knew he'd come ready to play on Tuesday. It was very evident. And and though the game was 7-2, he still made big saves in the third period. And there was that sequence of saves that he had to make when the game was at uh, 3-2, I believe it was. And he made three saves in a row, point-blank chances. It directly led to a 2-on-1, which we scored on. So you could have gone mm-hmm. from 3-3 and said it went 4-2. That's then, a huge shift. And then those are that's what three goals in yeah. you know, a couple minutes span. Yeah. And I thought the... Uh, the the way the game you're right the game could have shifted directly like it was on Thursday night uh, Saturday but the Comets took care of it and um, you know you look back at that and they scored two power play goals yeah in, in what a minute and a half or one something. went off the stick too yeah so I think you you know you you got to be feeling really good obviously about the win but also about hey we well, only gave up two goals and both of them were power play and that's easy way to fix that is stay out of the penalty box so uh, obviously easier said than done uh, but uh, I think the big positive is just twelve goals in two games for for this Comets offense. It clear, clearly Toronto and Keith Petrozelli, who's he's a big goalie. He's never really been tested in the American League to this level, um, and he's being out-dueled at this moment by, by Nico Dawes, who seems more calm, 
uh, more collected. They seem as ready as can be. And that's the other thing, too. I think a team plays, and you know this, having played the game, actually, when your goalie's ready and you know it as a team, don't you play differently? You do. You do. You play a little less uh, fearful of giving up odd man rushes when you, you know the goalie has your back. And, I mean, you're kind of seeing that in New Jersey in a way, too, right? I mean, Schmidt started games down in New Jersey and kind of, turn that whole series around obviously big game seven coming up but uh it was uh i think dawes's play in playoffs is leaps and bounds different than he was in the yeah. regular season yeah and also by the way go back to last year's playoffs where you know he's in his rookie year it's yeah. the american hockey league all these expectations are foisted on you it's almost unfair for a kid to be in that situation and now the, the difference is he looks like a, a, a savvy veteran of 10 years in the league he does and it's, it's crazy to think that the difference making it just in a little bit of game action last year yeah. you know versus this year and um this toronto series has kind of like that same feeling but roles reversed as far as i think so uh, us in first place and, so. and you know now being in the that playing game to then play toronto um so it's exciting things and i think uh wednesday and friday we're in for a treat here well that's the best thing about it you know go back to that game you were here obviously i think you were sitting up here in the broadcast booth and what that building was like you've been here since you were a kid what was the building like when in your mind I remember trying to talk to you after it was done. I, we, we were two feet away from each other. I couldn't hear you. Yeah, that was that was amazing. How loud it got! I think it hit uh, a whole other level. And uh, you know, there's still seats available for for that game, so we could even get it louder in this place. But yeah. um, you know, the community is behind this team more than ever. It seems like uh, everybody was everybody was kind of waiting for that first round to be over. But now that that energy levels even picked up a little bit more so i think wednesday and friday are just going to be even crazier in here and uh i think hopefully the the guys don't wait till the third period with two seconds left to, <laughs> to send the fans as, as uh, standing win, up with the game though. That's yeah okay, yeah as long as it comes yeah back. but the uh, the energy in here was just amazing you're right it was it was loud i well, mean but how about riley so uh, do you take little glimpses of what these guys you know the the instinct the reflex emotion is always the most genuine and when they scored that goal to tie it up and this place went bananas and riley walsh he didn't plan his celebration like and it wasn't trying to rub it in the faces of laval by the way it was genuine emotion oh yeah and then the overtime call, uh, win man like there was 20 guys on the ice and all the extras and they couldn't have been happier they were genuinely interested in winning together and mm-hmm. i think that's a it's so fun to look i think it's infectious it is it is you 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 nailed it the the celebration from riley walsh was not anything but just pure joy yeah and uh you know um, just the compete level in these guys right now, and when something like that happens, you can see how how excited they are to win a hockey game and to to push on to the next round. So we're excited. I'm excited. I think it's going to be an awesome Wednesday and Friday here. So this series here against Toronto is one that I would been, would have been hard to predict. Uh, as a, I think the Comets, if you say the Comets were the favorite, if you looked at the series as a potential in December, because Toronto has had their roster overturned, guys have moved on. Gaudet was good for a goal a game mm-hmm. in the American League level, and he moved on, and they had a couple of players traded because Toronto was trying to make a run, which they're in the midst of doing here. So they're a different team and a different roster. Yet, even though they're not as good as they once were, that top line, especially Logan Shaw, Joe Blandisi, Nick Eberzizi, their top line and their top players, that's high, high-end skill. And if you give him time and space, they're going to burn you. Yeah, well, I mean, you give him power play time, yeah. and, and they're very lethal. But uh, it's just a quick 
a quick transition game for those three guys. And I mean, we saw, we saw it in uh, both games, but they can score a couple goals pretty quickly uh, to turn a game right around. So you obviously got to keep them in check. And I think being at home helps coach Deneen match lines and be able to put out who you want against those guys for sure. But they obviously did a great job limiting them Saturday. What, um, what I asked this to Michael Lear the other day, and I'm probably asking him again. We, we touch base them before the game, but what did you, if you had to pick an X factor in this series so far that you think, you know what, maybe nobody's really focusing on this one thing, but boy, oh boy, that has been a big factor in the series, a player. Um, is there anybody that you say, you know what, maybe flying a little bit under the radar, but doing a heck of a job? Anybody in your mind you think that might be the case? Uh, you know, I thought, I thought Arnie Telvidi was really good. Uh, you know, I think there's one play that sticks out in his mind I'm sure uh, it was that the turnover uh, in a third or in overtime uh, game one but before that I thought he had the best chances in overtime for the Comets um, and then I thought a bounce back game yesterday or Saturday uh, you know with a with a goal to start early and just uh, he's you know center line that fourth line winning faceoffs when it needs to um, so I think Arnie's Arnie's played a really good series so far I think he's played the best hockey of his career I know the overtime is one everybody wants to play back and I'm not you don't put it on him only by the way but I will say that I think right now playing the most effective game because he's not only doing it on the offensive side of the puck but he's also ex- extraordinarily responsible on the defensive side too. And then fourth line is one of the reasons the Comets have been successful because they have depth at the forward position and, of course, at the D. We'll see with uh, Tobias Villain coming in. But they have a lot of depth in all three positions. And even Isaac Poulter, you know, and who knows what happens to the Devils if Akira Schmidt ends up here. Not, No idea, by the way. But they have depth. They do. And it's uh, it's one thing when you have Telvidi and Thompson on your fourth line for a playoff run yeah. when they were really between one and three all year yeah. because of injuries and call-ups and, and that sort of stuff. So a healthy, deep Comets team is a, is a completely different look than the regular season. Last minute here. I know I want to make one push. Fans listen to this. Comets Insider tonight. Make a push here. Fans to get in the building here on Wednesday and Friday. Yeah, I think it's uh, the atmosphere is going to speak for itself. If you uh, saw any of the video or anything like that from uh, Friday's uh, win against Laval to clinch that series. This place is going to be jam-packed. It's going to be loud. Uh, there's some really good seats still available at uh, uticacomets.com slash tickets yeah. uh, or call the box office, but uh, I think we got to get behind these guys, wear your white, and uh, let's make this building crazy. At, at the time of recording this, we don't know Syracuse or Rochester. I'm pulling for Syracuse only because it, it's never happened. And I in know. the 10-year anniversary of this team, to have a Syracuse Rochester, have a Syracuse Utica series to go on to the conference finals would be absolutely electric. We'll come back with an interview with TJ Friedman after this on 94.9 K-Rock. Welcome back on 94.9 K-Rock. Jason Shia here with you. Happy to be joined by Mr. TJ Friedman. Well, first of all, thanks for doing this. I know you've had a pretty incredible year thus far, and now you're in the pro ranks uh, playing some games uh, professionally, which is awesome. How do you feel right now? You've had a, It's a long season for college now. You've gone through the championship, winning a championship NCAA, then turning pro. You really haven't had a break uh, at all. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely been a busy, uh, busy few weeks coming off of that the uh, coming out of Tampa with Quinnipiac and then you know getting the deal done and shipping up to Utica here. But you know, it's uh, it's been a fun experience for sure. Um, you know, kind of getting in, kind of getting to learn the ways and you know feeling out uh, what it what it the difference is between college and pro. So I'm um, thankful to have the opportunity to come and finish the year here. So first thing that sticks out to you, what do you notice is the difference? Obviously, you're not going to class. That's one thing. Yeah, but, it's, but that's besides, a big one. Besides that, um, what what stands out to you? 
Uh, I think just the freedom, honestly. Obviously, uh, in college, there's you have that freedom as well, and you're kind of expected to do things on your own. Um, you know, kind of work on little things that you know you need to get better at. But you know, uh, home game, all the all the meals where okay, you guys are showing up here at this time. You're right. you're going to be doing that. Um, and then kind of coming in here, it's just kind of, you know, do your own thing, whatever you want to eat. You're kind of on your own schedule. You just right. have to be here for, right. for pregame meeting and the uh, whatever, today 525 they do it. So, yeah, I think that's the biggest one is just kind of the freedom you have, just kind of everything is on your own. There's no set schedule really in terms of, you know, meals, team meetings. There's a few of them, but uh, I'd say that's the big one. <laughs> yeah, and, and I have to say, you know, when you're, when you're in college, it's probably more structured, right? Your yeah. day is more structured because not only do you have hockey going on, there are other things going on outside of it. But when you're pro, in another way, your entire day is dedicated towards becoming the best hockey player you can be because right. it's a it's a profession at this point. Exactly. You have nothing yeah. else to focus on except being better. And that yep. means you can't stay out late. You can't eat what you want to eat because your body's a machine. And in college where they may shrug it off and go, well, you'll be better tomorrow, there's consequences here significantly right. at the pro level. Yep. Yeah, so obviously college, you've got to, you know, worry about the classes or whatever after the rink and the lift, all that stuff. Um, you know, coming in here, it's just kind of doing everything you can to, to be a professional and carry yourself as a professional. You know, obviously, like you said, eating the right foods, getting your sleep, uh, kind of dialing in and all the little things that, you know, we're a little tougher when you're leaving the rink at 1.45, you got a 2 p.m. class, you don't right. really have time to squeeze a meal in, so right. it's... It's nice that you do have the the more freedom to where you can kind of take care of your body more more than you uh, had the ability on certain days back at college. So. Tell us uh, what life was like growing up in St. Louis. Uh, I've never been to St. Louis, but um, I hear nice things. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's a little bit different than the East Coast. You know, there's obviously the busy parts where there's a lot of noise and a lot of foot traffic and everything in the downtown area. But uh, I grew up in uh, South County, about 15 minutes south of the city. So it's, you know little quiet kind of suburban neighborhood uh nothing really too crazy going on but you know obviously you've got all the the fans and everything for all the professional sports teams are, are very strong there whether it be the i not whether it be the cardinals especially the cardinals i feel like they get really good support every okay. year uh yeah no st louis is awesome it's uh it's nice kind of being on the east coast the past five years and kind of getting those summer breaks back in back in st louis you get a nice kind of dynamic between the east coast life and the midwest life so do you you get snow in st louis oh we get just about uh, right now especially this time of year you get basically all four seasons in one day i didn't know if it it was that significant it's nothing crazy maybe every once once every like four years we'll get that one really really big snowstorm where you get 10 12 inches but other than that it's you know, a few inches here, scrape the roads off, you're good to go. So you grew up a blues fan. Yep. And you how old were you when they, they weren't you weren't that young when they won the Stanley Cup? I was going into my sophomore year, I wanna say. So that would be I was twenty one at the time. So you get to really experience and revel in it or were you are you not you're you're a blues fan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Done. was it was a cool experience for okay. sure. You know, obviously having the the fan aspect of it, uh growing up, going to all their games kinda that was what you know, made me love hockey. We're the sure. St. Louis Blues, so yeah. it was it was definitely really, really exciting to to see them be able to finish the job that you know all the fans and everyone have been waiting for. They never won one, right? It was the first yeah, one. Yeah, that was the first one ever. And Craig, Craig Brube is a heck of a coach, and that was yeah. a heck of a team. I wasn't a huge Bennington fan. I've seen him, in, in, but I mean, he listen. You, you got the right kid at the right time, and exactly. all of a sudden you're you're lifting a cup over your head. Yep. What was um what, what was the first game you ever saw in St. Louis uh, first NHL game? Yeah, 
I don't remember how old okay, that was. I was gonna say, yeah, what was, was the name of the arena there? Savage Center? What do they call it? I was. Uh, it's Enterprise Center now. Oh, okay, okay. And then I think it was Savis, then Scott Trade. Now it's Enterprise. Center. All right. So it was either the Savis or the Scott. But that's Trade where, Center. that's where you go to see yep. NHL games, and I yep. imagine the the place. I mean, so much tradition with St. Louis, and so many right. great teams that have come out of it. So many unbelievable players that came out of it too. And you were just telling me moments ago, it was uh, Bear Jackman and Chris Pronger were your your go to defensemen that you looked up to? Yeah, they were the two defensemen that I really remember, and then obviously you had, uh, you know... Oh, Bear Jackman was a D, wasn't he a D? Bear Jackman yeah. was a D, yeah, and then uh, I'd say the biggest one probably would be Keith Kachuk growing okay. up. Uh, you know, obviously being a forward when I was younger, yeah. I was kind of more drawn to that. Yeah, I definitely sure. paid attention to all aspects of the, the play, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say Keith Kachuk was probably my favorite blue growing up. So, well, What then, a player he was. And what yeah. a, his players are, kids are unbelievable, too. Yeah, they're good uh, players. So you're here, obviously, and we're going to talk about your championship coming up in Quinnipiac, because I, I was you know, college hockey, to me it's very different in the way the pro game is played, right. but I mean, it's pretty intense, and I'm sure it was an unbelievable experience for you to win a national championship, but just take us back, because you were, you were watching the game here the other day, and the Comets were in overtime against Laval. Um, you, you, you saw those games. What were your thoughts on the series? Did, did you really, were you ever worried at all that Utica wouldn't pull it out? No, not yeah, really. You know, ever since ever since I got here, the, you know, it's it's a confident group in there. They they play with a lot of a lot of passion. So I feel like when you've got the confidence and the passion kind of mixing together, yeah. it usually makes for a nice little nice little uh, cocktail of emotions for, for the, sure for the guys to pull pull through on games like that. So uh, yeah, no, obviously when the clock was winding down to about you know four or five seconds, it was getting a little <laughs> yeah. nerve wracking then. Yeah. But they ended up yeah. sliding it to Walshy for the one T. So and then after that, I think you know just kind of. Hearing them hooting and hollering and screaming, going back into the in room. The room? You yeah, can just kind of tell that you know the with the emotions and that where everything was at, it was where, just kind of like these guys are going to win this. Where game. did you? Were you in the video room watching it, or were you watching it? Uh, no, I was in the up corner. In, I was in the stand. Oh, you were right down okay. here. Yeah, right. so that was awesome too. It was kind of you know hearing this building explode. So it, it was. I've never heard yeah, that loud before. Was, that's what I've never heard saying. it like that. It was that's amazing. what I was saying. So yeah, that was awesome. You know, and the great thing about it is it only gets louder as you go on. Yep. And the games, I mean, you yep. can't, you're aware of it. So where were you when you won the, what re- arena was the national championship in for Quinnipiac? Uh, we were down in Tampa at Amelie. So it's a neutral site. Yep. And yep. Uh, was it sold out? I assume it was sold out. I was close to it. Yeah, anyways. there might have been, you know, a couple the, pockets couple of empty, empty seats. Yeah. yeah, but it was, it was, that barn was rocking for sure. So it was, it was a great time. Now, the crazy thing to me is that college hockey is that every game's a game seven. Every game's yep. do or die in the yep. tournament. So you get to the, uh, Frozen Four. Were you the favorite to win the whole thing? No, we were actually uh, underdogs in both games that we wow. played. Okay, yeah. so that was uh, we were the number two seed uh, going into the tournament. So Minnesota was the only one ranked higher, um, and then Austin, Michigan was the two and three seed overall, and they had us as the underdog there. And, and then you beat us. You beat Michigan. We beat Michigan to advance and play Minnesota in the final. Um, and they were the one, and we were the two, and then obviously we were the underdog there as well, with them being the one and two. So it must have been like I, I imagine. That's why that hockey is it's different, but it's so intense because it burns hot. It's like it's like the World Junior Tournament in a sense. You can't afford to lose any games, right? Yep. And you're in that you're in the midst of it, and every period, every bounce is magnified so much. And you know what? You can have a great team get a bad bounce in the third period and yep. lose the entire thing. But you exactly. guys were you guys were amazing. Talk about that team and what you did. You know, at any point you were sitting in the in the midst of a special group. Did you did you feel it? Yeah, I de- there's definitely you know that moment of clarity that kind of hits you yeah. throughout the year where you're like, okay, like what we've got here is is definitely something special. Right. But, um, no, I still don't think it's it's truly set in yet really? with the uh, <laughs> with us winning it all. I mean, it was it was a very uh, emotional 
kind of few days well, was leading o- up overtime to it. Overtime win, then, too, you know. Yeah, the overtime more. win it definitely adds to it. Uh, being down two to the number one team in the nation who, right. you know, kind of all year you just hear how they're, they're cream of the crop. No, yeah, yeah. no one can touch them. No one can play with them. Um, but, yeah, no, they were they were a hell of a team. And, you know, to be able to be down two, kind of pull back and get it done in overtime was just, you know, it was surreal. It's one of those things you, you dream about as a 100%. kid. <laughs> if, it, if it was a seven-game series, would the outcome have been the same? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I like I like the way that we uh, we matched up against them. Um, obviously, they had home ice advantage, or I guess not home ice advantage, but they had the last yeah. change, yeah. so they were able to get their matchups where they wanted, and you know, all the way top to bottom from first line to fourth line and first D pair to last D pair. Everyone did did their job, holding their weight. Uh, you know, we got great goaltending and Yanni. So yeah, was, yeah. Signed in uh, Carolina. Uh, yeah, Carolina. Yep. So he went down to Chicago for a little bit. Oh, he did? Kinda, did he play yeah. down there a little uh, bit? He didn't get a game, okay. but he, he went down kind of, you know, same thing. Just kind of got a feel for the pro game, right. what, it, what a day right. in the life looks like. and then uh, Did the Wolves make the playoffs? I wonder if they made the playoffs. They, they were they, on a playoff push, but they yeah. ended up missing. They had missed it? Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, where were mom and dad at that? Were they there? Yep. I had uh, mom, dad, and all the sisters, and then a, you know, a few other family members here and there that they made it down to Tampa. So that was, uh, That's awesome. it was a nice little family reunion for us. Did they get, did they get to go on the ice with you afterwards? Uh, no, they all waited uh, up top. Dad was telling me that he was trying to sneak onto the ice. They wouldn't let him? The rink manager was like, no, really? uh, not really? a chance. So he, he tried his best, but we had our nice little moment on the glass at least. So That's that, awesome. that was enough. I mean, you can't be. Let's just you can't be there without your parents. It's yeah, impossible. No, it was it was awesome having the whole family there. So the um, the moment that you wanted in overtime, where were you and what were you thinking? Wasn't it off a face-off at Santa Rice to yeah, begin the overtime? Yeah, so we, we actually have a joke. We uh, were watching the game, and I don't think it really set in, but everyone talks about how you know, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. The first draw, Minnesota actually won, but the guy snapped it back so clean it came flying straight into our bench. Oh, wow. So they, they no had to way. go back, redo the opening face-off, Won it back. Metza makes a play. Lipkin makes a play. Quillen makes a play. Back of the net. I mean, it's over. You really. It's amazing <laughs> how that happened off a draw. Now, yeah. remind me, that was the first faceoff of the first overtime? Yes. So it ended immediately? Yeah. The first first shot on net ended. It I would not time. be able to sleep at night if that. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely tough. We had we had all the adrenaline flowing the rest of the night. So. Oh, I, yeah, that's the other thing too. You're so yeah. excited for overtime and it ends like that. You almost can't even believe it. If you're yeah. on the other side of it too, you must be just heartbroken because the way I saw the the on the way I saw the video and I was I watched it afterwards. Is what happened to their what happened to their right D? I, I, I don't know what happened because you guys came down the left wing side basically all alone. It's yeah. So that's actually one of the. Uh, one of the plays that our assistant coach Joe Dume, he's got, he kind of handles you know certain things. Um, you know, Randall just be like, okay, we need face-off plays for ozone, right. you know, neutral zone, whatever. Like we have a face-off play for all nine dots on the ice. Oh wow, okay. So this was uh, one of Doomer's drawn-up plays that we I, we probably ran it 150 <laughs> times this year. The only one that worked was for the overtime goal. <laughs> really? And well, I guess not the only one that worked, but the cleanest look we yeah, got out of yeah. it was for the overtime goal in the national championship. So. That's amazing. Hats off. So to you Joe knew Dume. what you were doing. Yeah. They were on the draw. Everybody knew what the play yeah. was. So that's the right D comment you made. He was probably there's like a little part of the play where a guy kind of goes as like a, a decoy in a sense to open up that. Oh, I that see. Little patch in the middle for that guy to you know grab it and get it on the wow. two on one. So. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. what, what an incredible way to win a national championship. You couldn't ask for a better story. I mean, so it's, it's and you know, it's, you know, 
being a part of a championship team, it's an indelible mark. It'll never leave you. You always have that. No one will ever take it away from you. And as good as your teams can be in the regular season, and as many teams you can have that make an incredible run, it doesn't matter unless you're the last team standing. And again, uh, you'll always be able to know. Like I reference 2019 to everything because it's just it's a it's a it's a mark in your career that you won't forget. Right. And, and also, by the way, you college hockey's time, like pro hockey, is finite. You're only there for for a given amount of time. Right. And then once it's gone, it's gone. Yep. Right. So you can play pro hockey for how many NHL players left their careers after 20 years and never made it past the second round? Exactly. To be a part of a championship team is something that you yep. just can you'll never forget. So, how is how is that transition? Now we talked about a little bit coming here. You know, you get to Utica, you're seeing the pro game. How many games did you get in? One, two. Uh, two. Well, I got the last two against. Uh, we were at home against Cleveland, and then we were in Syracuse. And what what was your first? Because you're not playing. I mean, you're you're how old now? Twenty four. Uh, twenty five. So you're twenty five. So you walk in the room as a rookie. You're actually one of the weirdly enough one of the yeah. maybe the average age kid, but you haven't played pro hockey. Yep. Um, what was um, you know you meet a guy like let's say Tyler Watherspoon for instance, or a Joe Gambardella who've been pro hockey players for a long time and yep. they're close to the thirties. It's a different world when you've you've lived it in that pro experience for so long. Have you picked up anything from these guys? Yeah, the guys have been awesome, obviously, you know, getting me in. Uh, it's it's obviously going to be an adjustment kind of moving from one systems to, an, like, another, right. another set of systems. So it's it's definitely been a little bit of work trying to, you know, dial in on all the, the small, finite details of the game. But, you know, obviously all the older guys that have been here, you know, they're, yeah, questions, don't be afraid to ask. Yeah. They've been, you know, showing me different things before games, like, oh, like, here's a little read that usually needs to happen, stuff, just like kind of little things like that. So but it's, th- those little things, I assume, add up, they matter, those, don't they? Yeah, those little things will add up, and they could win you, win you or lose you a game. So yeah. it's, they're definitely important to know. It's, so. it, what's amazing to me is, you know, you come into a game and um, – you know, if you if you make a mistake and you don't have the credibility, so so Joe Gambrella makes a mistake, everyone goes, well, you know, we'll get him back next time. But when you're a young player, it's 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 a hyper focus on every shift right. you have. You really have to be there mentally and physically. Yeah, and obviously, you know, coming in, being the new guy. With that being said, you know, you want to try and keep it as simple as you can. Obviously, if right. there's a, a play that you can make, go ahead and make the play. But you know, right. If you're coming up the boards, don't force anything. Just chip well, it around the guy, get after him on the forecheck, kind of little things say, like that. What would you say char- characterizes your game? If someone says, you know, here, I, here, gear my attributes, here's what makes me a successful hockey player, what would you say about yourself? Uh, honestly, I think it would just be the passion I have for the game. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be in the O zone or the D zone, I feel like uh, if you talk to my coach at Quinnipiac, Rand Pecknold, he would actually tell you I was probably more effective in the D zone than I was in really? the O zone. Really? So, uh, Do you see yourself more as a defensive forward? I wouldn't say defensive forward, but I definitely, you know, it's in the back of my mind, even in the O zone on positioning for, okay, what happens if there's a turnover? Am right. I in a good spot that right. I can get on the horse and get back, help shut a play down? So um, I'd say that the, the passion I have for the game kind of comes out in all areas of the game, whether it be getting on my horse and getting on the back check, yep. you know, making a nice breakout pass, uh, supporting low through the middle in the neutral zone. Yeah. Just kind of all the little details of the game are, are things that I try to dial in on, which I think helps me in the long run kind of piece together that 200-foot game. What did you get a degree in at Quinnipiac? Uh, I did finance my first three years, and then I did my MBA for my senior year, and then just dropped out of all of my public relations classes. <laughs> so, so you have your MBA? Yes. So you're one, as far as I know, one of two players that have an MBA, because I'm pretty sure Jared Gorley has an MBA, too. Okay. 
Yeah, sure he, he I think he got his at New UConn Hampshire? when he tra- uh, Was it New Hampshire, UConn? Somewhere. He went to Arizona UConn. to begin with. Yeah, yeah. And then he, and transferred. Then he transferred. Yeah, to I UConn. can't remember yep. every place. I'm <laughs> too old not to remember all that stuff. So you have it. You have that in the in your back pocket in case. Yep. Was it always in your mind, like, when I'm done with college hockey, I'm going to play pro? Or are you, or did this just kind of fall into your lap as time went on? And obviously, as you get higher up in the the playoffs there's more focus there's more scouts there's more like hey this kid can play we got to sign this kid right i think obviously making it to the frozen four and winning it this year helped my chances of a professional contract for sure um you know kind of going into into college as a freshman i didn't really know obviously you want to play professional hockey it's a lot of the goal of of college players um but coming in you don't know what's going to happen you know performance wise injury wise all that stuff so i wanted to make sure that I did get a good education in case the hockey didn't come through. Yeah. Um, luckily, it did, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. But Parents yeah. are totally supportive of uh, what you're doing? Yep, yep. That was uh, their big thing on the, the fifth year was with my dad. He was like, you can go back, but you're going to take classes that like you actually are going to put work in towards. Like, right. well, he was like, this isn't right. just going to be a mess Taking around year for you. Basket weaving. And, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> he was like, I want you to at least you know make use of your time while you're there. And I was like, all right, I can I can do that. That'll 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 work for me. So uh, you didn't have because you, I would imagine you were a fifth year guy because of COVID. Uh, right? Yeah. So they gave. Everyone in the NCAA, uh, the extra year of eligibility for um, the end of my sophomore year was when the tournament, it, we were just getting into playoffs and really? they basically just said, okay, everything's everything's shut down, right. like COVID's here. Right. Uh, so we had to cancel the end of that season and then going back for my junior year, we got to play almost a full season. Um, most teams started, started late. Yeah, like we, I think we, we probably played... It was almost like a pro schedule at that point where we were playing, like, Friday, Saturday, Tuesday games, maybe a Wednesday game on Friday, Saturday. We were just trying to get as many games in as possible. Uh, But the issue was we didn't start until, like, I want to say December or so for games. So in December, we probably played maybe... 15 games in in the 30 days or whatever, gotcha. 30, wow. 31 Incredible. days. So. Well, there's a lot of hockey coming up, and we hope to see you in it, and I'm, I'm really happy you're part of this organization, and uh, we'll look forward to watching you, not only, of course, if this comes about this year, but also next year as well. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back on 94.9 K-Rock here for our final segment of Comets Insider, and we just heard an interview with TJ Friedman. Uh, TJ, of course, a very thoughtful young man and uh, pretty interested in getting his pro career started. You know, perhaps when you are undrafted and you're playing in college and you're in your mid-20s, you're maybe you're not thinking you're going to turn pro, but then your team goes to the national championship. There's a lot more eyes, a lot more scouting, and suddenly someone says, you know what, that kid's got potential. We'd like to sign him to a contract and bring him in, and that's exactly what happened with T.J. Friedman, who will turn, uh, he signs a deal to come in and play, and and uh, he had a couple of games, so he got the his his feet underneath him to figure out what it's like to play pro and now you're in the room you're surrounded by the players you're getting an idea of what it's like to be a professional hockey player rather than a college hockey player and you can tell from you know his uh, discussion with me that there is a difference there's a difference in approach there's a difference in the way you carry yourself and and the mindset is very different as well you're done with school you don't have classes you don't have some certain obligations and now your full-time job the thing you are most focused on is being ready to play a game it's it kind of sounds funny but we also talked about the fact that the ramifications of playing poorly at pro hockey 
have consequences as opposed to not so much playing college. They're not going to cut you from the team and you may lose your spot in the lineup. But in pro hockey, there are certainly consequences. And you hear that from a lot of the younger players coming in and saying, now we have players talking to us about they're fighting for contracts, which means they're fighting for jobs. And that takes a whole different approach in your mind when you're fighting for the food that goes, the money that pays the food in your table. That's a different story when you have a family, when you have a wife, you have kids, and you have a whole different approach to this thing. It's a job. It's a career. And you want to hold on to it. You want to play hockey as long as you can because you want to continue to do what you do, what you've loved your entire life. So it's a whole different mindset. But now we're going to shift our attention because that game on Saturday afternoon, 4 o'clock game at the Coca-Cola Coliseum, tying the series. And not only tying the series, by the way, but doing it in an emphatic way. Yes, they were up 2 nothing, and then it became a 2-2 game, but uh, they didn't really just put their shoulder in a Toronto, kept on shooting the puck, and they were even better in the defensive zone, I would argue, but both goals by Toronto. One was a cross-ice pass back door in the power play. The other power play goal by Toronto was off a deflection. So, you know, there's not, not Nico Dawes, the goaltender, could have really done, but the Comets poured on the offense, and it began with Brian Howell, and he scored early on in the game on a perfect pass from Alex Holtz. This goal at 146, it was 146 into the game, started the scoring for the Comets in that contest. Bounces to the right wing side. Now picked up by Robbie Russo. Russo to Schmelzer to Hallinan. Hallinan leaves it. Chance now centering pass in front. Scores! Hallinan on the beautiful pass from Alex Holtz. And the Comets early in this game lead the contest 1 0. And Hallinan's goal. That's his first of the playoffs. Well, you bust in the zone with speed. Hallinan gives to Holtz. Holtz on his backhand. Turns to his forehand in a wide open. Brian Hallman deposits the puck in the back of the net. And there you go. They'll take that all day long. Yeah, they will. And Hallman is one of those guys you go, okay, if we get him scoring now, yeah, you're really going the right way. And, and you needed you needed bounce as well. And here's where the next goal comes in. Arnie Talvitti, who has played some fantastic hockey here in the postseason, gets a favorable bounce. Sometimes these games are best of five or even best of three. It comes down to bounces. But you earn your bounces. And Talvitti gets one off a skate. Favorable bounce for him. A favorable bounce for the Comets. And it's 2 nothing in the first period. Gertzen shoulders. Zowski to the ice. Tice Thompson on the entry in the off-shooting left board. Holds. Talvitti takes it. Back in front. Scores! Off a deflection. It's 2-0. Talvitti's looking up because he wants to know if it's his. Maybe Tice Thompson. I think it's Talvitti. Off of Marley's defenseman and in. Well, how about that? A 2-0 lead. Talvitti comes in. Spins to his backhand. Who did it go off of? Oh, yeah. That went off of Marshall Rafai's skate. Talvitti gets the goal. Talvitti got it. He'll take it, and he gets another goal in the playoffs, scoring, of course, in the Laval series. And so the Comets had a 2-0 lead. Now, this is where things got a little dicey because, you know, Toronto did tie the game. They had they had two goals in the first period, and the teams would leave the first period to Simeon Dergachinsev and then Kyle Clifford scored. And so you head in the second period, all locked up at two, but that's where the Comets took over. They really took over, and it started with Nolan Stevens and his goal. Uh, that's where the Comets began. And in the in the second period, to really grab a hold of the game and never look back. Here's Stevens' tally. 
Clark drives the goal. Petrozelli swatted away. Rebound chance. Gambardella firing and a save by Petrozelli. Little more pressure coming from Utica now. And now they steal the puck again. Gambardella and Emmett's on a backhand shot saved by Petrozelli. Rebound scores. Nolan Stevens. It's 3-2. You could sense it. You could sense it was coming. They were throwing pucks on net. Another big rebound. Petrozelli made a save off the Nemitz backhander. And where was Nolan Stevens? Where you go to score goals. And he got away from Marshall Rafai. And Stevens tallies the goal at 6 minutes and 54 seconds. So Stevens gets the goal to give them a lead. And then another kid we talked about a lot. We talked about in the in the opening segment. And uh, uh, it's it's the captain. Or you can talk about in the opening. I'm, I'm, I'm going too quickly here. I want to go into the Ryan Schmelzer goal first. Schmelzer is the uh, captain of the team. Always working hard. Two goals against Laval. Now a goal against Toronto. This was the insurance mark for you to kind of give them a 4-2 lead in the second period. Here's Schmelzer's tally. Abrazizi's cross-ice pass knocked down. Here come the Comets. Two-on-one. Watherspoon with Schmelzer. Shooting safe. Rebound scores. Schmelzer. And it's 4-2. Watherspoon knew exactly what he was doing. Shot it off the far pad. Schmelzer drives the goal. Stick on the ice. It's in the back of the net. That's a perfect play. And in. Ryan Schmelzer has another goal in the playoffs. That is his third goal in four games. And the Comets have a two-goal lead again in this game. Depth of scoring, they're getting it from everywhere, and including, as we now go to the Xavier Perron goal, Perron goal gets another good bounce, but this kid's working as hard as can be. This made it a 5-2 game after 40 minutes of play. It became a decisive game for Utica offensively. Here is Xavier Perron yet again putting up another goal. Here's a shot, Dawes save, rebound save, once, twice, another save by Dawes! Absolutely incredible, and another two-on-one. Howerlick moving in. Has to hold up, though, and Howerlick will throw it around. Now they give it to Perron, center scores! It's 5-2! I mean, are you kidding me? Nico Dawes makes three saves in sequence right on the doorstep as Perron comes and scores another goal in this series. Yeah, we can't say enough about Nico Dawes. Kind of hard to get the highlights of the goaltenders on here uh, that do it justice, but Nico Dawes was fantastic, has been fantastic, and so he he really he shut the door down on one side, and then it comes back the other way. And now we're in the third period, and the comments just continue to pour it on, and it's Graham Clark. He gets a, he gets a goal here. Now to Holtz, who's in. Holtz fires, saved by Petrozelli. Got it off the right shoulder. Riley Walsh, one timer fired, scores. It's in, and it's Graham Clark. Five on three goal makes it six to two. Graham Clark with his second goal of the game. Five on three goals, what they wanted, and they got it. And now a four goal lead. 
Yeah, four-goal lead, and the only thing left to do was Brian Pino's goal, and because that one spelled the night and we're running out of time, we'll have to hold off on the Pino tally, but a backhander moving in off the post, uh, and he beats Petrozelli, and that spelled the night for Petrozelli, and it'll be interesting to see who Toronto plays in goal. Will they go to Hildeby? Will they go back to Petrozelli? Well, we'll find out because the, the playoffs are coming Wednesday night. Back to the Adirondack Bank Center also Friday. Get your tickets, UticaComets.com forward slash tickets. Be with us at the odd and we'll be with you live on 94.9 K Rock. I'm Jason Shy. We'll see you for Comments Insider next week.